This is Catherine Cruz. Mahalo for joining us. Hawaii Talks on the conversation. Got chocolate? Hawaiian chocolate? We showcase all things cacao in today's Hana Ho Show. First, we go to the North Shore and visit a small farm to see the trees up close and learn how the tasty pods are grown. Early in the summer, we learned about Maui Kuia, a Valley Isle chocolate farm and factory impacted by the August winds and wildfires. We'll take you on a farm-to-table journey with Hawaii cacao beans, visiting the Lonohana Estate Chocolate Factory in Kaka'ako. And we cap off the show by looking at cacao growing in the islands, past, present, and future. It's Friday, October 27th. The conversation starts after the headlines. Support for The Conversation comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributor PCAT, Pacific Center for Advanced Technology Training. HPR invites you to our Sound Salon series. These in-person events are happening in November at our Atherton studio in Honolulu. Join fellow music fans as your favorite HPR hosts guide you through deep dives into their favorite tracks. Admission is $10. Seating is limited. Learn more at hawaiipublicradio.org slash events. Support for HPR comes from Outdoor Living on Maui and on Oahu at the Coco Marina Shopping Center in Hawaii Kai. With over 20 years in Hawaii, committed to the emotional and physical health boosts of living in the outdoors. OutdoorLivingHawaii.com We're back with the conversation here on Hawaii Public Radio. If you like chocolate, you may not have ever thought much about the farm-to-table concept, but we thought it was worth exploring in our series on cacao. The University of Hawaii's Go Farm program offers a series of workshops and field trips to understand the progress of the fledging cacao industry across the state. Interest is high and there is a wait list. We took a visit to a farm out in Wailua this past summer where Manoa Chocolate is betting on Go Farm success. Farm manager Max Breen took us on a tour. The orchard is in full swing and there are plans to build a processing center and to start farm tours later this year. The trees were planted three years ago and are full of cacao pods. That's the good news. The bad news is wild pigs have taken a liking to the chocolate pods too. This is gonna be the side of our tasting room right here. So ideas like you're in a nice like pergola or like gazebo type structure and you're like tasting chocolate. We're talking about cacao in Hawaii and the rest of the world and you're like gazing at the trees around you. So that's the vision. Um, yeah, this, this site when we got here is like mostly like guinea grass, like invasive grasses, uh, invasive tree species like halikoa and um, we removed all of that, we left some um, of the older trees, like these monkey pods you see over here. Um, and then we planted in like really careful design a, an agroforest with cacao, um, companion shade species like this Clericidia, these uh, cedro and laurel trees, uh, tropical mahogany, neem trees. I think that within the cacao orchard itself, there are about 10 species of tropical trees. Um, we only cultivate the cacao within the orchard, but like on the margins of the property and in other sections, we grow um, avocado, mango, uh, lychee, citrus, all kinds of stuff. Um, this orchard that we're about to get into is uh, the 2021 planting. Um, so you'll see the trees are a little bit younger and we still have some fruit on them from this previous harvest that I left on so I could show people that visit the farm. And um, then is this, all this used to be sugar? That's right, yeah, it was sugar for a long time. Um, you know, we can see the Wailua sugar mill um, from this property as we get up into the next orchard. Um, but, but before we got here, it was, uh, it was ranched, uh, there were cattle on it, and then it was fallow uh, for like 
eight years. Um, so by the time we got to it, it was, uh, it needed a lot of landscaping, a lot of work to start a farm. These are beans? Those are, those are pods. pods. Yeah, so the beans are inside of the pods here. And there's a ripe one over here. So they change, the fruits start either like a green or a dark red like this, and they'll turn color, get lighter, get more of like an orangey yellow. And um, that's like our biggest indicator of when we know to pick the fruit. Uh, they're picked like that with some shears. And then depending on how your farm works, at some point on the farm, you'll group these pods up or you'll do it right here at the tree. You crack this pod open, usually with a machete, or you can do it with a mallet. And then you take the seeds out, you extract. Have you ever tried cacao fruit no, before? No, I haven't. Oh, great, exciting yeah. moment. Yeah. So this is the seed. It's covered by this uh, mucilage or pulp, as we call it. And um, this is sweet pulp that tastes, uh, I'll, let, I'll let you be the judge of what okay. it tastes like. Yeah. Yeah, so just suck on it. Don't chew the seed. What do you think? Mm, it's creamy, tart. Reminds me of soursop. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's a common one people say, for sure. Yeah, a little soursop. Some people say lychee. A kind of a cross between the two. Some citrus, yeah. It's good. Yeah, <laughs> I'm glad you like it. A stint in the Peace Corps in Panama propelled Breen into agriculture. He's a graduate of the University of Hawaii at Hilo campus and has worked on cacao farms on the Big Island and is now focused on seeing the orchard on Oahu's North Shore mature. This farm is a collaboration between Manoa Chocolate and Cacao Services, Inc., which is an agricultural consulting firm that specializes in cacao. So we started this farm in 2020, planted our first trees in 2020, and our trees are now bearing. And I'd like to show people what we've built and educate people in Hawaii on cacao, chocolate, and uh, this beautiful site we have. How many acres is under cultivation? So we have five acres that we're managing right now, and that includes polyculture, so other fruit trees like mango, avocado, and primarily cacao. Is there any trick to growing it? I mean, uh, what kind of climate does it seek out? Tricks to growing it, I guess, uh, sheltering it from wind. Cacao is very sensitive to wind, and you know we live in a part of the world that gets very windy, so we have to plan orchards carefully with uh, wind block species. You can see around you there's neem trees and panax trees surrounding us. So cacao needs companions, not only for the wind, but also for shade. It's a umbrophile or shade-loving tree, so it's understory crop. And then does it like dry, wet? Well, here we're pretty dry. We're like under 40 inches of rain a year. Cacao, you'll see in textbooks, needs about like 60 inches of rain a year, but like well distributed throughout the year and right here we don't have that so we irrigate which uh, actually gives us you know some more control we can decide when the trees get water we can give it very regularly um, we could feed nutrients through the water if we want to and you've got a fence to protect from pigs and things like that that's right yeah primarily pigs pigs are our biggest pests our biggest uh, challenge on this farm i'd say and once the fruit uh, started to bear this year and last year the pigs in the area started getting a, a taste for the fruit and then we were in big trouble <laughs> they started like tearing trees in half to get to the fruit cutting into the trees with their hooves so yeah it's been a, a huge problem and recently we put up this uh, electric fence that zaps them and keeps them out of the orchard area and it's been working very well so you would like to get more people interested in cacao um, just for the possibilities. I mean, we're always looking for, you know, diversified crops. And a few decades ago, there was a thought that, hey, we could grow this here and, and we could probably produce some pretty good product. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think there's uh, many aspects of cacao that could be good for Hawaii, like namely, of course, like growing a food crop and also reforestation. So because it's an umbrophile, as I mentioned before, uh, it needs a canopy, it needs a forest to grow under, or it thrives better in one. That gives us the opportunity to reclaim land that was used for sugarcane or cattle ranching and plant tree species, grow a perennial crop with bigger trees sheltering it. How tall will these trees grow? The cacao trees, will keep them under 12 feet, 12 to 15 feet really, so that we can reach the fruit. They'll keep going and going and then fall over on themselves and, and grow again if we let them. But because we're trying to uh, harvest a crop, we want to keep them in a manageable stature. And then is it labor intensive to harvest? For sure, there's, um, there's as of yet no uh, mechanized harvest system 
for cacao, at least getting the fruit off of the trees. So it's all hand-picked with scissors. As far as in the whole processing and getting it to a point where you can put it in Manoa chocolate. Yeah, that's, so that's uh, with cacao, that all happens on the farm. Um, so we harvest the cacao fruit. Uh, we pull the seeds and pulp out of the fruit. We then uh, put it in a fermentation box, usually a wooden box, and uh, that gets turned back and forth into other boxes uh, for like on average about a week and then it needs to dry in the sun. So we do all that on farm. It's about like a two, three week process in total. Um, and only then is it transported to the chocolate factory, Manoa Chocolate in our case. And then as far as chocolate from other farms, I mean, because you've got farms across the state. Yeah, yeah. so um, there's a lot of small farms popping up across the state. I think, you know, at this point, we probably have an estimated 300 acres total in the states, which is tiny. That's like the, for comparison that's like one single estate farm in Ecuador but we have a lot of small farmers that each have you know their own unique product and companies like Manoa Chocolate or um, Maui Kuya Chocolate on Maui um, can and Lonohana Estate Chocolate here on Oahu uh, they can buy up those beans and create single origin bars and um, yeah broadcast you know market those those farms individually in their chocolate bars. And then do you uh, bring in other chocolate from anywhere else? So Manoa chocolate does. Um, as of now, there's not enough chocolate, not enough cacao being grown in Hawaii to uh, feed the size of the craft chocolate companies that we have here. So like Manoa chocolate, Maui Kui Estate of Chocolate, they, uh, they source cacao from Ecuador, from Uganda, and from other parts of the world. And then, you know, because we've heard uh, lots of hullabaloo about Kona coffee, yeah. and how does that work for a, a product? like this where you've got some cacao from Hawaii and then other places. Sure, yeah, I think we're still sorting that out as an industry. Um, we have the HCCA, uh, which is our like industry group. And uh, I think we're gonna have a lot of conversations in the next year or so about like, how do we, how do we market Hawaii cacao? How do we um, sell it? How do we make sure that we're like creating a strong brand for our local products? It's, it's kind of an exciting time for our industry in that a lot of farms like this one are about like three to five years old and they're just starting to bear fruit, just starting to do agritourism. So the industry is about to take a big leap and we need to have those conversations about what our product means to us and how we should market it. Uh, you had mentioned earlier that you were working on a farm over in the Big Island, is that right? Yeah, I was a student at UH Manoa for my graduate studies and I did my research in Hilo. Yeah, and I have a good buddy, um, Colin Hart, who's growing cacao just north of Hilo in Paukaa. So there's lots happening on Big Island. Lots of, lots of little growers, medium-sized growers, they're going to contribute to Hawaii cacao. And Where is most of the cacao grown at this point, do you think? At this point, uh, it's mostly, I guess, statistically on Oahu. The biggest grower in the state is Dole up here in Wailua. Uh, they have about 80 acres in production. So that kind of dwarfs the rest of the industry at this point. But we have Maui Kuya that you mentioned, grows uh, 20 acres of cacao. Um, let's see where else, Mililani, actually also here on Oahu. Uh, there's, a, there's a farm that grows about 10 acres of cacao. So those are small numbers like in the, in the global sense, but those are kind of like the bigger farms in Hawaii right now. If there's anybody out there then that's interested in maybe jumping into cacao, I mean, you know, what's the message that you want to try and underscore? Sure, I mean, scale is important, you know, so like creating a, a quality chocolate product requires that you're producing cacao at scale on your farm. So, you know, we always tell people at Cacao Services uh, that if you're growing anything less than 10 acres, really it's going to be hard for you to have an economically viable business if you're just selling dry cocoa to chocolate companies. If you have a smaller farm like this one in its current state, then you should really plan your business around agritourism. And that's the plan here, is you plan to start tours here hopefully by the end of the year? Absolutely, yeah, and, and I'll say like in addition to agritourism, it's like how much value can you add to your farm product, like you, you produce dry cocoa, but can you make chocolate or can you partner with a company like Maui Kuya or um, Manoa Chocolate to create a bar that maybe has your label on it that you can sell on your farm tours? Those are all really important aspects of uh, successful cacao chocolate businesses in Hawaii. Are you a chocolate fiend? <laughs> I am, yeah. Um, I grew up loving chocolate and, you know, having studied cacao in school and worked in the industry for a while, developed a, a taste for like very good chocolate and but I've retained my taste for like you know Hershey's like s'mores things like that like I, I love chocolate across the spectrum.
That was Max Breen, manager for a Wailua farm that is part of a joint venture with Monoa Chocolate and Cacao Services. Today's show is all about our state's craft chocolate industry. Next, we turn our attention to Maui Kuia Estate Chocolate, a cacao farm whose proceeds go to charity. Started by retired biotech executive Dr. Gunners Valkers, its success is being looked at closely by others in the fledging industry. The recent wildfires in Maui put a pause on the operations. We talk with Vice President Dan O'Doherty about the company's history and how innovation helped the young craft chocolate industry get up and running. We had a lot of private landowners as collaborators, like throughout the whole island chain. And Maui, you know, we did a site with a man named Gunnar Zalkers, who is a just recently retired biotech entrepreneur. And uh, by far the best collaborator we ever had, being a real data person. So I went over to, you know, collect some data and manage his trial, which was just 40 cacao trees that we were trying the same trees, so grafted or cloned. To see how they perform in, you know, hot and dry areas through like mountainous areas, you know, almost up near a volcano. And when I, I met him and, and had lunch, I was talking about how the evolution of Hawaii cacao, you know, hopefully would go in the way that, say, wine and Napa did, right? And where, unlike the rest of the world, which just kind of plant seeds and let them grow and kind of you get what you get. Right. But it's a blend of varieties and, you know, not much is, is very tight, but rather we could evolve it in like a wine model. He's, he's very stoic and, uh, and serious, but, but great. And so I couldn't really tell. I never met the guy before whether he was bonding to this. And he let me say my whole kind of peace and dream for how we can make chocolate in Hawaii like that. And then basically at the end of lunch, he said, like, that's what I want to do. Let's, let's do it. <laughs> and, uh, that was the kind of start of the project. So for a long time, I was just a consultant designing and building the farm. And then at one point, he said, you know, I'm going to build a factory. I'm going to make some of the best chocolate in the world, very much like winemakers make it. So single varietals, you know, and very customized blends. And, and he said, you know, when I do that, I'd like you to really come on board permanently rather than just a consultant. So that's, that's the kind of short story of like the origin of the company. The fun thing about that chocolate is you get a box and you get to sample all the incredible flavors that you've been playing around with. And my favorite happens to be lemongrass, I have to admit. But it is really interesting to see how far you can push the envelope uh, and create these really unusual flavors for chocolate. Yeah, I don't know that anyone else has a lemongrass chocolate. And so it's funny because we, we both love chocolate itself. But we have very different kind of focus areas, right? His whole dream was to create these interesting and custom flavors, and, and some are such great ideas. I mean, this this trio of, you know, Hawaii tropical trio, right? Which is not, you know, your cliche pineapple and whatnot, right? It's it's wild pick guava, it's calamansi, which is really locally, you know, relevant citrus, and mangoes that we happen to inherit some young trees on our own farm. So I think that was really unique, and I think, like you mentioned, these these gift boxes. That, I think the another unique thing about our company is the majority of what we produce is in these very small five gram Napolitans, which I think really reduces that kind of barrier to entry for tasting, right? So as opposed to, you know, spending seven, eight, nine dollars for a single bar of a single flavor, you know, you can get this assortment of small pieces which are a personal like personal single you know, bite is, is, is unique. And I think that that's really helped us let people that aren't, aren't used to anything other than the grocery store chocolate kind of access the, the range of what's out there. Well, my motto is, if it's not that good, don't eat it. And so I like a little something that's very fine. <laughs> and so that's what I found to be kind of a joy with the Maui chocolate, just with the variety of flavors. I'm just thinking, gosh, it, would, it could pair so well with wine. You know, you talk about what wine has done for Napa. So, right. yeah, I, I think about the possibilities uh, for agro-tourism, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And you folks are doing tours out there on Maui. Yeah, it's actually a pretty busy tour, more than 
20,000 people a year. And so it's very interesting. You know, driving through Lahaina, one of the driest parts of the state, and it's, it's all former sugarcane land, you know, that, that basically went out in the, in the mid-90s. And so you're driving through this mile of, you know, very desolate-looking terrain, and then it opens up into this huge, you know, green kind of oasis and a, a bit of a forest we've created, so cacao-like shade. So there's big shade trees and there's windbreaks and then these you know, huge tropical trees. And most people have never even seen a cacao tree or fruit, and it kind of blows their mind. Even the the people that from Italy that sold us and came to install our chocolate machines in the factory, we took them to the farm. Many of them have been making chocolate machinery for 30 years and had never actually seen a tree or fruit. So it's kind of interesting that 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 disconnect between like the source, the raw material of chocolate and, you know, the product we consume um, is like an abyss between the two. I have to admit, uh, I'm a huge chocolate fiend and I never thought much about that farm to table concept. You know, you just get go to the store and get chocolate. But yeah, to be out on the farm and to actually taste the fresh cacao pulp, that was an experience. Right. And on that, about 30% of, you know, what's used to actually make the final dried bean is that pulp that you're talking about. And so normally it's just discarded, incidentally, as a byproduct. And you'll see some people now selling juices and things. But what we started doing this year in Maui is actually pressing and collecting that juice and making it into a sorbet. And it has enough sugar and enough acidity to balance that there's no added ingredients. It's just cacao juice put into an ice cream machine. And it, it comes out. It's It's been really, really popular and, uh, you know, a great way to use a, what is otherwise a byproduct. That Honestly, I think I kind of prefer the, the pulp and the sorbet to the chocolate itself. Well, what a great idea because that's another value-added product, right, that you're you're producing on the farm. For sure. Yeah. And sorbet and chocolate, what could be better? <laughs> yeah. And so as a small farm, you folks have been really doing some cutting edge stuff over there. Yeah. So on the actual like planting and, and establishment side, so so having a really wide collection of varieties that otherwise don't exist in the state. I've had like a long standing collaborative relationship with USDA who's done the, the genotyping. So basically like genetic uh, fingerprinting. And so verifying that, you know, the varieties that we have, that we cultivate, you know, as single blocks and can even go all the way through the process by single varieties, we know that what we're doing, you know, really is what it's supposed to be. So on that that side, that that's, makes us kind of very unique. And then the, the post-harvest process, which is like the fermentation and drying as well. So one, we have kind of um, a lot of real-time monitoring of what's happening during the fermentation. Typically, cacao fermentation is just a spontaneous process, right? You basically harvest the fruit, pile it into a large wooden box, and um, kind of hope it just goes well. You know, it's usually fermented for about a week, plus or minus a couple of days. But because it's spontaneous and not inoculated in the way that, say, you know, beers and wines and yogurts and many other fermented products are, there's inherent variability. And so by, by looking at fermentation in real time, each one can get adjusted. You know, one goes a little slower, and so we might extend it an extra day. So those are kind of two of the, of the, of the many innovations that we've developed that we think um, kind of make us unique. That was Dan O'Doherty, Vice President of Maui Kuia Estate Chocolates, talking about the company this past August. It was before the wildfire swept through Lahaina, where the factory is located. O'Doherty said that the factory was buried under a pillar of black smoke, but when it receded, they were ecstatic to find the building was completely intact. Maui Kuia is designed totally off the grid, and its solar system and backup generators kept the air conditioning running and the lights on, and all the chocolate was spared. As for the farm, land around it burned, but the farm did not. 80 to 100 mile per hour winds defoliated the trees, but the hope is that the cacao will bounce back. The workers were all safe. Some lost their homes. And while 100% of the company's profits go to Maui Nui Charities, a portion of the sales going forward will help Malama Maui in its recovery efforts.
Support for HPR comes from Stadia Capital Group, a Hawaii-based investment firm committed to wealth preservation and monthly income in a managed and diversified portfolio. Learn more about fund options at stadiacapitalgroup.com. Nearly 200 businesses across the state rely on HPR underwriting to reach engaged listeners like you. Mahalo to Jeff Gear, EcoClean Hawaii, and Gen Korean Barbecue House. They believe, just as you do, in the power of public radio. See a full list of our underwriters at hawaiipublicradio.org. Support for The Conversation comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, whose contributors help Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributor Anchor Systems Hawaii. Welcome back to The Conversation. If you're just joining us, we're sharing a show all about chocolate. We Hanaho Stories aired this past summer about cacao farms and producers of the popular confectionery. Chocolatier Seneca Klassen started Lonohana Estate Chocolate in 2009. The family-run farm has 5,000 cacao trees on 14 acres of old sugarcane land up on the North Shore. Cacao beans are picked at peak ripeness, fermented, dried, and transported to town for processing. The conversation's Lillian Song visited Klassen at his factory, located at the old Kiwalo Theater on Queen Street. It houses state-of-the-art equipment, as well as vintage chocolate-making machines, some over 100 years old. That's the old screen, and the, where you came in on Queen Street, or that side door there, would have been like the wing exits. The scuba shop on Cook is in the old lobby, so the theater went this way. And then some of the screen surround is still original there. See all the Honu, flying fish, albatross, monk seals, and the ceiling paint is, as far as we know, is original. So this building has had a ton of different lives since the 1960s when it stopped being a theater. It's a cool space to be making chocolate in. Anyway, so as you can feel, this is all the hot production zone. And a day like this in the summertime, it's very warm in here, but that's actually advantageous from a chocolate perspective. There's a lot of machine heat, and I was roasting this morning. About 100 kilos, so about 220 pounds of beans. The next stage after we roast is that we need to winnow the shell away from the nib. And so this big cabinet-looking thing is our winnower, and it's still messy because I've just finished it. It's the oldest piece in the factory, so it's over 100 years old now. And this was a winnower that was installed new at a company called Blancsart in Barcelona in 1918. And we know in the 1960s, it was sold to this Australian food manufacturing company. They're the biggest sauce producer in Oz. They make ketchup, mayonnaise, all that kind of stuff. And the guy who started that company had a wild hair to start a museum of food production technologies. So he literally just built a building and he installed all this weird stuff in there for all kinds of different foods. And one of them was a small chocolate production line, which never actually made chocolate. It was just a demonstration. Still got the original electric motor that it had since 1918. So that hasn't changed. Yes. That it's amazing. That is so cool. So this is the, the melanger, a big stone grinder. If anybody's ever seen the, the famous Marcel Duchamp chocolate grinder painting, like this is it. This is the iconic kind of image of what these are. Big, huge granite stones with a turning base under them. And so the cocoa nibs are being smashed, but also sheared as the base rotates. And the wheels stay in place and just turn over it. piece of equipment called a ball mill. And so what's in here is just um, thousands of hardened steel balls, which we call media. And those, that auger flings them around really, really fast at the same time as pumping all the material up and over. So basically everything, think of this as like a, a super aggro mixer with a bunch of ball bearings thrown into it. So anything we put in there is going to be smashed very small, very quickly, but it's very, very likely slash inevitable that the particles that we made small are not well distributed. So that's this whole job of this device. It's a conch. The reason it was called a conch is because um, 
Rudolf Lindt, who most people will recognize that name, as in Lindt chocolate. In 1879 in Switzerland, he was unsatisfied with the finished texture of the chocolates they were producing. So he had his engineers produce a thing very much like this. This is a really old-fashioned type of conch, and it's similar to what he made in 1879. The whole purpose was to make the chocolate smoother, to, to lengthen the amount of time that it was subjected to mixing and aeration. And what they do when the chocolate is in flow, as you'll see in a sec when I turn it on, is it splashes. So it moves it up in a wave pattern, and then it cascades back on itself. And um, he saw this curved side, it reminded him of a shell. The first shell he thought of was a conch, thus the name. But this has a fun splashing noise, which I kind of love. <laughs> Next, the liquid chocolate is tempered, poured into molds, and finally packaged. The many steps that go into making Lonohana Estate and Onomea chocolate. Klassen is passionate about educating consumers about the process from bean to bar. I love the amount of influence and control you can have over all the processes. Even if you're working with a co-op and even if that co-op is local, some of the quality control issues can be difficult with cocoa because so much of the most important stuff happens on the farm sites. I mean... 70-75% of the flavor possibility of the chocolate shows up in the beans and the bags in the factory. So what we do here in the factory is maybe a quarter of the total potential that we're adding here. Everything important happens on the farm. So if that is utterly beyond your influence, then you kind of have this residual quality control problem that never goes away, even if it's nearby. You know. Seneca, you have said that if the cacao orchard doesn't work, then the company doesn't work and you want to make chocolate in a different way, respecting people throughout, step-by-step, step, no exploitation, respecting the whole process. So what has it been like for you to do Lonohana with this mission in mind? It's challenging. Doing any agricultural project in modern Hawaii is, is challenging. Chocolate has some advantages just in the sense that it's a food that people are incredibly emotionally attached to. So you have some leverage <laughs> when you when you talk, start talking with people about chocolate, they're already a little bit gaga. So you kind of like, OK, I have, an, I have a window of opportunity here, but it's producing things the way we produce them and paying labor costs of a developed world agricultural product. You know, you're talking about a from my point of view, a properly cost of a chocolate bar. But that's still a huge change from what people are accustomed to. So when people come into our tasting room and love something and then they pick it up and they see that it costs $16 for 65 grams of that chocolate, sometimes they're, sometimes a, a shocking amount of the time, it's not an issue. And they're happy, happy to take it away and enjoy it and evangelize about it and do all that stuff. But there's a certain proportion of people who are like, whoa, are you kidding? Like this is quite bonkers, you know? And so we really have to talk story with them and bring them along the journey of like, what a big change they're actually participating in because localizing this particular food is like a low-key revolutionary thing to do. It's not straightforward and it's not what the system is built to deliver at all. So there's a lot of little things that are super challenging at a relatively small scale. And also the, the chocolate industry full stop has been so industrialized over the course of the last 150 years or so that like doing any part of it at a small scale is inherently inefficient in a certain way. And so you have to be able to overcome that somehow or other. And so finding the ways to do that is a creative challenge and is, is sometimes at certain stages of growth, it's just really, yeah, it's a stressful thing to try and pull off. So we just, you know, we just moved to a new factory last year and that's a big capital expense to build out such a thing, even though our factory is still small in the global sense. But for us, it's a huge outlay of cash and a huge risk to go do stuff like that. And we need to go do more farming. We need to expand that. So it's not us alone, but there's a whole group of people in Hawaii right now trying to really build a little industry around cacao and chocolate that I think has a lot of potential to benefit Hawaii in the long run and actually bring something really positive to the islands. And as an agriculturally based product, which is fantastic and something we can uniquely do well here in Hawaii, in my opinion. But anytime you're trying to start an industry from scratch, especially an ag industry in modern day Hawaii, that's a big challenge. And so understanding for you, the Lonohana estate up on the North Shore, you took over some old sugar uh, acreage up there. You remediated the soil. You got it healthy going again so that you can actually be growing, was it how many, 4,000 trees? Yeah, it's it's almost 5,000 trees, I guess, at this point on that one at Adobe Nine, which is our original farm site. 
that's one of the coolest things to me about cacao is the capacity it has to repurpose degraded land and we have an awful lot of that in Hawaii after the plantation era and in the case of where we particularly are on Opaila Ridge right above Haleiwa town on the north shore it's really cool because back in the kingdom if you use your imagination and cast yourself back into that time that was all dry lowland forest like those weren't open grasslands back then yeah and so in a sense the use of agroforestry regenerative agroforestry practices in a space like that not only is an act of malama'aina for that place, but it also kind of reverts it to a type of landscape that it would once have been on its own naturally. There's cacao trees in there now and mahogany trees and some things that never would have been there before, but the overall environment that we now work in on that 14 acres of Oahu is actually like cast back in time. There's pueo living in there and there's all kinds of cool stuff, yeah? And so um, it's pretty inspiring place to be and the fact that we can make something commercially productive and have that kind of impact on the landscape is really cool do you guys do trade shows i mean right now is is it trending up for hawaii chocolate i think so yeah in terms if you look at the profile and like awards one and all this kind of stuff i think people are really starting to recognize us as an origin producer that is super high quality has a really distinguishable identifiable kind of profile of flavor and quality and I think that's yeah it's starting to happen for sure not just regionally but globally you know Hawaii Cacao is getting awards at the Paris Salon Salon de Chocolat there's a raw materials award every other year Hawaii beans have won lots of awards at those in recent past and the finished products are doing really well too not just Monahana and Onomea stuff but our friends and colleagues from around the islands so I think, yeah, I think people are paying attention to what we're doing and starting to realize it. I think in the long, long run, like the, the dream is really to create an industry that has so much allure that it's it's another reason why people want to be in Hawaii, you know, that we really attract people to come specifically see cacao and chocolate destinations when they're here in the islands. And that's a thing that they come for, just like you go for the wine in the wine country, you know. We're absolutely up for that and we're trying to be part of making our own little stuff as good as it possibly can be so that we're serving that broader goal. Okay, so Seneca, earliest memory of chocolate? Man, somebody just asked me this recently. It's a chocolate orange at Christmas time. I don't know if you ever got those, but I was raised by kind of like hippie wolf people and I was not allowed to have sweets or sugar or anything. So whenever I got them, which is usually around my grandmother, I was like a fiend. So she gave me this Trosti, it's like a Dutch company and it's a thing shaped like an orange. It's segmented and you like, you smack it and it's foiled, right? And it falls apart into segments like as if it were an orange. And it's orange flavored dark chocolate. That's the first thing I remember eating and thinking like, oh, what is this stuff? It's amazing, you know? And that's a kind of a distinct memory. So we make what's called an orange and vanilla bar at Lonohana. The reason that that bar exists is because about four or five years ago, I went to get me one of those dusty oranges because I was like, ah, oh, nostalgic vibes. I want to check in with one of those. And I ate it and it was terrible. And I don't think it was terrible just that like my nostalgic memory compared with what it really is, isn't as good. I think it is. I think a lot of chocolate products, candy products even, have become much less good since we were young. Um, Mounds is another one that I used to love that candy bar. Um, it is terrible now. And it's terrible because the coating, that's not even really chocolate, but the coating compound that goes around the coconut is just trash now. It's all fat and sugar. There's very little, yeah. You know. So if you look at the prices of some of those things and you realize how little they've gone up, then you can just use your imagination. Like, well, what has had to change about the product itself for the price to stay so consistent over 30 years, right? It's lower quality inputs and more junk and less good stuff and yeah, more processing. And so I've had that same experience with the chocolate orange. So I set out to repair it by making a, a bar <laughs> for us that would taste like what I remembered, the experience I remembered. So we now make a chocolate bar called the orange and vanilla bar. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a, yeah, it's even a wholesale product. It's part of our wholesale line. So it's a really nice 70% estate chocolate with sweet orange essential oil. And yeah, it's yummy. When we think about cacao chocolate as an industry, how close are we to it? I think we're probably like a generation away. 
and that sounds maybe like pessimistic or depressing, but it's actually really good. <laughs> because when you look at an ag-based industry, like especially something that has such a long development curve, like an orchard-based thing or a vineyard-based thing, you're talking about development cycles, even in selecting a tree that are six to 10 years long. And so, you know, I fully expect to be a very old man by the time we're, we have a really refined orchard space, for instance. And that's just how long it takes to do that kind of work in a really refined way that really has legs and produces incredibly high quality results. So for us to create a world-class, you know, destination-worthy industry around cacao and chocolate here in Hawaii is going to take time. But I think that the people who are involved in various aspects of it and the players who are committed to it and the possibilities that are starting to open up are so compelling that it's going to be successful. But yeah, I think, you know, maybe when my daughter is my age, we'll have a <laughs> we'll have a chocolate industry in Hawaii that that's globally recognized and that Hawaii people, like I said earlier, I hope will be really proud of and will be stoked to share with the rest of the world. And that was cacao farmer, chocolate maker, and founder of Lonohana Estate Chocolate, Seneca Klassen with HPR's Lillian Song. The locally grown and produced chocolate is available at its retail store and tasting bar in Salt Kaka'ako and also online. Factory tours are open to the public Friday and Saturday. to think that Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory lives on in a Manoa laboratory. It's where retired University of Hawaii professor Skip Bittenbender likes to use Hawaiian cane sugar and Hawaiian-grown cacao for a homegrown craft treat. For the last decade, he has watched a specialty crop gain traction so that locally grown cacao and sweet chocolate bars are on store shelves. The crop has come a long way since cacao first appeared as a novelty in King Kalakaua's garden. Coffee giants like Guitard, Hershey, and Nestle all have looked our way. Hawaii is the only state that grows cacao. We head down the rabbit hole and trace cacao history and talk about hopes for the future. Bittenbender and many students at the University of Hawaii College of Tropical Agriculture have been intimately involved in building an industry through trial and error. Cacao has been in Hawaii since around the 1830s, shortly after coffee arrived. And those plantings died out. It was in what was Foster Botanical Garden, Don Marin's garden back in those days. And then it showed up again in the mid-19th century. And by the late 19th century, there were two uh, chaps in Hilo who made a little planting. And there was concern that maybe this is something that Hawaii might want to get into. Well, they were very much inspired particularly the legislature, because during World War I, the cacao movement from West Africa over to uh, the United States and other places was blocked by the German submarines. So the price of chocolate went up sky high, and the legislature wanted to know if maybe we could get in on this. And so the plantings were made by what became today the CETAR, the College of Tropical Agriculture and Human Resources. After the war, of course, the prices came back down again and nothing happened for a while. And then by uh, mid 20th century, one of our uh, college deans said, look, you know, if we really wanna know if this is gonna work, we've got to plant about 10 acres and let it go for 10 years and see where we uh, are. The target yield, they thought it would be break-even, was about 600 pounds of dried bean per acre. Well, a little bit later on, Dick Hamilton, who was my uh, predecessor in the department, was horticulture in those days. Today, it's called tropical plant and soil sciences. He said, no, there's no way that cacao was going to make it in Hawaii because our labor is too expensive. We don't have quite the right land. 
and uh, so on and so forth. But things have changed since then. And part of that change, I think we can lay to people like John Nancy, a uh, entrepreneur in Portland, Oregon, who uh, wanted to sell beans from different origins to uh, chefs and whatnot, but he realized that they couldn't do anything with it unless they had the right equipment. And so he uh, experimented with all sorts of consumer-grade food processing equipment, including the uh, the champion juicer, small hobbyist uh, hop crushers, hair dryers, and the most important piece were stone-on-stone uh, stone wet grinders, which were very readily available out of India. That laid the groundwork for the craft chocolate industry. Meanwhile, early to mid-1980s, Jim Walsh arrived. He um, arranged for some of his people to bring back promising uh, genetic material, promising varieties of cacao from various experiment stations in Indonesia and Malaysia and the Philippines and brought them into the Keao uh, area on the Big Island. He uh, was also talking with folks like Nestle and Hershey's about how they could get involved with him and get things going. He did put in uh, some grafted uh, trees and did get some farmers to buy in and things got going. There is a big orchard still in Keao in the manager's field, which has been largely deserted, but a lot of people would sneak in there and grab pods to uh, start farms. One of the farms was planted by a guy by the name of Clarence Hodge up in uh, Oluoloa. And he uh, planted up, he planted, a, according to Walsh, six feet by four feet spacings, which is way too close for our conditions. He got things going. It was very rough. He had to break holes in the uh-uh lava with the hydraulic ram. I was there the day they were busting the holes and planted the trees. But he was a fairly elderly man. He came ill, went back to the mainland and died. Farm was uh, neglected, but was later purchased it was just a one acre operation by bob and pam cooper and they started up the original hawaiian chocolate factory in holuoloa their uh, model was to make chocolate they put a lot of money into custom-made equipment a little bit later on in that decade mike mclean was working with dole dole was interested in diversifying at that time and mike uh, came over to uh, Waimanalo, where we had a uh, planting of cacao that Joe DeFrank had started, funded by the Governor's Agriculture Coordinating Committee to begin registering various herbicides for weed control in young uh, cacao orchards. Joe got that job done and did not cut down the trees. We let them uh, grow, and over time they were sort of forgotten and we turned off the water. But a number of trees did survive. There were some trees at the P-Bark Experiment Station in Hilo, run by the USDA. The uh, orchard in Dole started to grow well, but Dole decided to back out of the diversified ag portion, and that the coffee was abandoned out there, the cacao was abandoned, but not that they were not cut down, they were not plowed under. So in the early 90s, Mike Conway at Dole began to rejuvenate the uh, cacao orchard, and uh, they did had some taste tests run, uh, cooperating with Guitard's Chocolate in California, and they said, hey, this is pretty good stuff. So they continued to develop the um, orchard. In uh, 2005, there was a cacao conference in Kona involving uh, the USDA and, and CTAR, a number of growers, as well as USDA scientists from the mainland, as well as a couple of the big American chocolate companies. I was at the uh, conference and was inspired by what they thought was a uh, some possibility for Hawaii. I was looking for new crops to work with, and I had set aside some of my earlier crop assignments and picked up cacao and kava. Well, it seems like, you know, now there are farmers on so many islands now, and the interest is great. It just seems like Mm -hmm. over the last decade, things are finally starting to fall in place, and you've got people Mm -hmm. with passion to kind of take this to another level. 
So what's your hope for right. the future, for the, for, for the next 10 well, years? Well, the hope is good, but they've got to uh, get rid of just growing seedling trees and start growing grafted trees. Grafted trees will provide you a more reliable, higher yield, better quality, and the uni- kind of uniformity that farmers need when they want to manage their uh, crops most effectively. We did a big variety uh, trial with the Hawaii uh, seedlings here in the state and a few international varieties. And we're now into the second generation of that trial. Dan O'Doherty has been doing a lot of work in making uh, crosses and evaluating them at the farm in Maui, which I hope survived the fire. It, it was burnt once already in the big uh, Lahaina fires of about, uh, I guess about five years ago. But anyhow, Yes, things look very promising. If we moved into into uh, grafted varieties, we'll be able to probably uh, double our uh, current yields. We do have a cacao association, and Hawaii Chocolate and Cacao Association, which is statewide, and then there's one in East Hawaii, the East Hawaii Cacao Association. There's well, probably one in Kona. Well, ca- can you talk about this whole idea of you know what is Hawaiian coffee, you know, Kona coffee, and what is Hawaiian chocolate? I mean, how does the association and how do the growers deal with that standard? You know, because we don't make enough just yet to really, you know, have a full-fledged industry. Um, so, so how does that work? At what point can you say this is Hawaiian chocolate? One of the first things that the uh, Hawaii Cacao and Chocolate Association did in I think is around 2012 was work with the USDA to clarify the administrative rules for the labeling of Hawaiian chocolate. And the deal is if you uh, want to uh, call it Hawaiian chocolate or by any other island, Hawaiian island name, 100% of the, uh, the cocoa liquor or the beans used to make that have to be grown in Hawaii to be called that. If you're going to be uh, creating blends, which is a very uh, normal thing to do with when you're making chocolate, you want your Hershey bar or your Nestle's bar to taste the same uh, year after year, then you must label that. It has to be at least 51% Hawaii-grown bean. The other 49% can be from someplace else, but it's got to be labeled Hawaii blend chocolate. So these rules have already been laid down and have been around for over 10 years now. And I think we can provide it's enforced. uh, And the labeling uh, specifies that the uh, content of uh, the Hawaii bean in that chocolate has to be clearly stated on the package. We should be able to avoid the Kona coffee blend issues that have been bothering people in Kona for almost 40 years. That was retired UH professor Skip Bittenbender, who wraps up our look at our series on island-grown chocolate. Treat yourself to a bar of the good stuff this weekend. Savor it. Support local. Give Hawaii craft chocolate a go. Who can take a sunrise, sprinkle it with dew, cover it in chocolate and a miracle or two? The Candyman. The Candyman can. The Candyman can, cause he mixes it with love. That does it for today's Aloha Friday Hanaho Show, spotlighting our cacao series originally aired this past August. We have to go now, but we would like to hear from you. Do you have a chocolate story to share with us? Call our talkback line. Tell us about your cacao adventures. Here's a number, 808-792-8217. Our program is produced by Russell Subiono, Lillian Song, and Stephanie Hahn. The Backyard Quiz theme written for us by John DeMello. Theme music courtesy of Gypsy 808. I'm Catherine Cruz. Join us on Monday. Pick up the conversation. Mm-hmm.